Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to wish all of you fine folks out there, uh, thank you, thank you rather, all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, our call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this Christmas Eve 2017 style, I can gladly once again, tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, Christmas is in the air, and first and foremost, happy holidays to all of you, and I hope that all of you folks out there are taking the time out to spend some good quality time over this Christmas holiday with your loved ones. Now, with that said, there were some good games on tap today in the National Football League as Week 16 is nearly in the books And with that, the playoff picture is getting a little bit clearer. And one game that had huge playoff implications on the line took place down at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, as you had the 8-6 Seattle Seahawks taking on the 8-6 Dallas Cowboys. And the loser of this game would be eliminated from postseason contention. Now, it was 6-0 in favor of the Cowboys late in the first half when Seattle was finally able to put together a drive, which was courtesy of a Dallas turnover. And it culminated with about a minute and a half left in the first half when quarterback Russell Wilson connected with tight end Jimmy Graham from three yards out on a fade route to give the Seahawks the 7-6 to six lead. Now, Dallas was able to regain the momentum just before the first half ended when quarterback Dak Prescott got them into field goal range and Dan Bailey connected on his third field goal of the half and his second one from 51 yards out to give Dallas the 9-7 to seven lead at intermission. Now, Early on in the third quarter, Prescott would turn the football over again. This time he was intercepted by Seahawks defensive back Justin Coleman, who returned it 30 yards for the touchdown to give the Seahawks the lead at 14-9. Another Bailey field goal later in the third quarter made it 14-12. And early in the fourth quarter, after another Dak Prescott interception, the Seahawks were finally able to put together a meaningful drive as they put together a 13-play, 79-yard drive, which ate up nearly six and a half minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped off when Wilson connected with his BFF and wide receiver Doug Baldwin from six yards out to make it 21-12. to 12. Later in the fourth quarter, Dallas was driving as they still had an opportunity to win this game. However, Bailey would miss his second field goal of the game. Seattle would get the football back, and they were able to run out the clock as the Seahawks went on to win today by the score of 21-12. to 12. And if you are the Cowboys, you are definitely going to be kicking yourselves about this loss. You held Seattle to just 136 yards of total offense. Russell Wilson was 14 of 21 passing today for just 93 yards, but he had two touchdowns. He was also sacked 
three times by this Dallas defense. Now, Dak Prescott was 21 of 34 passing for a buck 82 with no TDs and two picks, and he was sacked four times by this Seattle pass rush. In his return from suspension, Ezekiel Elliott did have 97 yards on 24 carries, but it simply was not enough as Dallas eliminated from playoff contention. And if you're the Cowboys, this is a huge letdown. You were able to stay afloat in the absence of Ezekiel Elliott during his six-game suspension from the league. And you faced the Seattle team that was just taken behind the woodshed last week at home by the Los Angeles Rams. And the Rams' offense did whatever they wanted to the Seattle defense. They, they, they ran up and down the field. Of course, Todd Gurley had a big game, and they simply punched the Seahawks in the mouth. But we saw a different Seattle team today led by their leaders who are still out there at least in middle linebacker Bobby Wagner and safety Earl Thomas. And Earl Thomas led all Seahawks today in tackles with 11. But, you know, Zeke was back for the Cowboys, and, I mean, he did have 97 yards on the ground. And he, he did, a, to me, he, he did appear to be a little bit out of shape. And, I mean, that can be understood when, you know, you haven't been out there in a game-like situation in six weeks. Now, with that said, you know, a lot of people are beginning to, you know, pile on Dak Prescott. And, you know, this is a sophomore experience for him right here. It came so easy last year for him. And I think part of that was due to the fact that he was playing off of the running ability of Ezekiel Elliott. This time around, it's a situation, especially once Zeke went out with the suspension, teams have changed up on Dak. They have a year's worth of game film on him. Now they're trying to make Dak Prescott beat them from the pocket. And he's having that same problem that a lot of these spread offensive quarterbacks have. You know, they, they run the spread offense in college. They run, you know, the majority of that uh, in the NFL once they first come into the league in order to get acclimated. But once they attempt to take that next step and become a pocket passer, it is not that easy for them to make that transfer. And we're seeing it right now because teams that have the ability to keep Dak in the pocket will win against the Cowboys because Dak is not that same guy. And that showed up again today. And this is a credit to the Seahawks front seven, which includes the likes of Bobby Wagner, Sheldon Richardson, and Michael Bennett, as they kept the pressure on uh, Prescott all afternoon long. He, he was not comfortable and the results were a big-time win for the Seattle Seahawks and for the Cowboys. Now, after winning the NFC East in uh, 2016, now they will be watching the playoffs from home here this season. Now, you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs and for the Cowboys. They will be on the road to finish out the season when they take on the Philadelphia Eagles while for the Seahawks, they will be at home to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Now, moving right along, it was a big AFC East showdown today as you had the 11-3 New England Patriots hosting the 8-6 Buffalo Bills, and there was plenty on the line in this contest. Now, New England had already clinched the AFC East while Buffalo was looking to remain in playoff contention because coming into play today, Buffalo did have one of the wild card spots in the AFC. And of course, there's no love loss between these teams, which goes back to their meeting earlier this season when Rob Gronkowski was suspended after his malicious hit 
on Bill's offensive back, Jadavius White. And honestly, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Gronk should have been suspended for the rest of the regular season, but the NFL did levy a one-game suspension on him. The Bills did not take that lightly. And they were focused not only to go out there and defeat the Patriots, but also limit what Gronkowski could do. So at Foxborough this afternoon, the Bills were giving the Patriots a run for their money for the majority of the first half. It was knotted up at three early in the second quarter when Jordan Poyer returned a Tom Brady interception, 19 yards for the touchdown to give the Bills the 10-3 to lead. Now, in typical Brady fashion, he would immediately respond as he led the Pats on a nine-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off when, when he connected with Gronkowski from 17 yards out to knock the score at 10 apiece. Now, Stephen, House, uh, Stephen Gostowski, part of the uh, 40-yard field goal with just under two minutes left in the first half, gave New England the 13-10 advantage. And then there was a turning point in this contest. At the half, the uh, Bills had to settle for a Stephen Hauska 23-yard field goal. And the reason for that was more controversy around, uh, around the New England Patriots in regards to a catch. Bills quarterback Tyrod Taylor did connect with uh, wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin in the back of the end zone. And the play was initially ruled a touchdown. And then, of course, all scoring plays are subject to review. And then from there, the play was reviewed, and the call was overturned. The NFL claims that Benjamin did not get both feet down for the touchdown. He also touched the pylon in the back of the end zone. However, uh, the NFL said that uh, he did not get both of his feet down. They ruled the pass incomplete, and then the – uh, Bills had to uh, settle for a field goal, and I'll get uh, to more of that in a minute. Now, the Bills did what the Patriots do. They score at the end of the first half, and then they get the ball to begin the second half, and they score again. But how, unfortunately for Buffalo, they had to settle for another Stephen Hauska field goal, this time from 30 yards out, to give them the 16-13 to 13 advantage. Now, right after that, the Pats would drive down the field, and Kostowski would get another field goal to knot it at 16 and then the floodgates opened up for New England. Just before the third quarter ended, Mike Gillisley scored on a one-yard run to get the Pats the 23-16 to advantage. And then early on in the fourth quarter, the Pats put together a seven-play 60-yard drive, which was capped off when Brady connected with running back Deion Lewis on a 12-yard screen pass to make it 30-16. to And at this point, the ball game was pretty much salted away. The Patriots would put the icing on the cake later in the fourth when Lewis scored on a four-yard touchdown run to give New England a 37-16 to advantage, and the Pats would go on to win at home today by that score. And you look inside of the numbers, Bills quarterback Tyrod Taylor was 21 of 38 passing for 281 yards with no TDs and no picks while he was sacked six times by this Pats defense. Tom Brady was 21 of 28 passing for 224 yards with two TDs and a pick while he was sacked twice. But the man of the hour offensively for New England, at least, was Deion Lewis as he had 129 yards with a TD on 24 carries while he also had five catches for 24 yards and a TD. And I, talk, I talked about this uh, Patriots defense as they made life tough for Tyrod Taylor today, six sacks with two and a half of those coming from Marquise Lewis. And I'm going to say this first and foremost. I like This is the third time 
that we've seen controversy around a touchdown catch versus the New England Patriots this season. The first time was a toss-up against the New York Jets and Austin Safarian Jenkins. Yes, uh, last week versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was a little bit more decisive just due to the fact that by the rules, Jesse James had not become a runner yet. He was still a receiver. And today, my biggest problem with it was that it was called a touchdown on the field. And with that said, if you watch the replay, there really wasn't enough evidence to overturn the call. So if that is the case, the call on the field should stand as a touchdown. And that did change the momentum of the contest because you're looking at it, Buffalo, instead of being tied at 13 with New England at the half, they go up 17 to 13. They have some momentum. They get the ball to begin the third quarter, and they could potentially look to build some momentum off of that. However, if you are the Buffalo Bills, you still have to find a way to simply spit in the face of adversity and keep it moving. And they did not do that in the second half because once, you know, once they scored that field goal to go up 16 to 13, they didn't score again. They got beat down. They allowed the New England Patriots to gain 200 yards or nearly 200 yards on them rushing. They did not do a good job of protecting Tyrod Taylor. And Tyrod Taylor himself did not, uh, you know, seize that moment in the second half. So that comes to the fact that, you know what, yeah, you're going to deal with adversity. Yes, there are going to be plenty of controversial calls. But in that situation, it wasn't the call that decided the game. You still had an opportunity in the second half to right the ship. And if you're Buffalo, you did not do it. And, you know, for the, New, for the New England Patriots, I said that Buffalo was going to push them in this contest. And the final score really was not indicative of how this contest worked out today. But this is just that championship mode of the Patriots as they are simply going out there. They consistently find ways uh, to win these close games. And, you know, for the eighth consecutive year, we are now talking about the New England Patriots winning at least 12 games in a regular season. So that is definitely commendable to this organization as, you know, they have become the gold standard of what uh, franchises want to do in the National Football League. Now, you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. And for the Bills, they will find themselves on the road against the Miami Dolphins, while for the Patriots, they will be hosting the New York Jets. So, folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, there was a big one in the NFC South as you had the 10-4 and Atlanta Falcons hosting the 9-5 and five New Orleans Saints. And New Orleans knew that they had to take Atlanta very seriously because the Falcons defeated the Saints on Thursday Night Football a few weeks ago in Atlanta. Now, after a pair of Will Lutz field goals in the first half, it was 6 to nothing in favor of New Orleans when the momentum of this contest changed just before the first half ended. Atlanta was driving potential touchdown when – uh, quarterback Matt Ryan was picked off by Marshawn Lattimore in a very quirky way, 
as he picked the ball off while laying on the ground from his rear end. And it's one of those situations you have to see it to believe it. This is going to be a play that people are going to be discussing for a long time. And credit to the Saints because they were able to immediately capitalize on that as with just 14 seconds left in the first half. Drew Brees connected with wide receiver Ted Ginn Jr. on a 54-yard touchdown hookup to give New Orleans the 13 to nothing advantage. It was 13 to 3 late in the third quarter in favor of New Orleans when they basically put this game away after a 26-yard touchdown run from running back Mark Ingram to make it 20 to 3 and New Orleans will go on this afternoon to get the 23 to 13 victory. You look inside of the numbers for this contest. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan was 22 of 36 passing for 288 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked five times. His counterpart, Drew Brees, was 21 of 28 passing for 239 yards with a TD and a pick. Julio Jones did have seven catches for 149 yards, but he was held out of the end zone by the Saints defense as New Orleans took another step in regards to winning the NFC South. And you look at this, I really saw a big-time sense of urgency in watching this game today from the Saints. They came out there. They knew the importance of this. They could not take a misstep versus the Falcons. They could not afford to be swept by the Falcons this season after New Orleans themselves had gone out there and swept the Carolina Panthers this season. So it was very important for uh, the Saints to go out there and take care of their business, which they did. And, you know, for the Falcons – that was a backbreaker, and, you know, I put them in a situation like the Bills. You know, you had you had a chance for the momentum, uh, you know, in this contest in the first half. Obviously, the situation was a little bit different uh, in regards to the uh, Falcons or what they were dealing with, but they never were able to overcome that. And like I always say, once the Saints get good, that building is so tough to win in at the Superdome because Drew Brees can pick you apart. And it's a situation with his team right now. He does not have to solely go out there and pick uh, opponents apart because of the fact that New Orleans can run the football effectively as well as they're playing D. So this Saints team, I'll tell you right now, they are going to be a very tough out in the postseason. Now, you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. New Orleans will be on the road to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers while the Atlanta Falcons will find themselves at home to take on the Carolina Panthers. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, sticking in the NFC South, you had the Carolina Panthers who came into play today with a record of 10-4, and four, and they were looking to keep pace with the Saints as they hosted the 4-10 and 10 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a field goal fest for the majority of the first half, as after the Bucs connected on their second field goal of the half late in the second quarter on the ensuing kickoff, Demir Bird 
who had that spectacular catch last week for the Panthers against the Green Bay Packers, returned to kick off 103 yards for the touchdown to give Carolina the 12-6 lead as Graham Gano's extra point was blocked. Now, it was 12-9 in favor of Carolina early in the third quarter as the Bucks were able to capitalize on a Cam Newton interception, and it resulted in a touchdown when quarterback Jameis Winston connected with Jesus Wilson from – 18 yards out to give Tampa Bay the 16 to 12 advantage. Now it was 19 to 15 in favor of Tampa Bay in the fourth quarter. And unfortunately for them, they could not put this game away. And with just under three minutes left, Carolina put together a drive and with just 35 seconds left in this contest, Cam Newton scored the game winning touchdown on a 22 yard run to make it 22-19 to 19, as Carolina would survive and advance today by that score. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Bucks quarterback Jameis Winston was 21 of 27 passing today for 367 yards with a TD, but he was sacked six times by this Carolina defense. Cam Newton was 16 of 25 passing for just a buck 60 with no TDs and a pick while he was sacked once. And Mike Evans did have a big impact for the Bucks receiving game as he had six catches for 107 yards, but he was held out of the end zone. And old man Julius Peppers continues to get it done. Two forced fumbles, oh, pardon me, two fumble recoveries, rather, as well as a sack as a future Hall of Famer was a big part of Carolina getting the victory at home today. And you look at the Panthers. They were faced with adversity all week long, of course. You know, the announcement came out last Sunday evening that majority owner Jerry Richardson would sell his 52% share of the Carolina Panthers, you know, due to his, uh, his discrepancies that have come to light in recent weeks. And, you know, Carolina was able to, you know, channel out all that white noise, and they went out there and they took care of their business today. I mean, the Bucks were a formidable team. You know, I mean, you look at Tampa – their last three losses have come by three points, including today. And on top of that, they've lost so many close games. And this is a life of a young team. They have to go out there and they got to figure out and see what it takes or what, uh, what they can do to take that next step, get those wins, uh, especially coming down the stretch here. Remember Tampa Bay was nine and seven last year. And a lot of people thought that this team was going to be able to take that next step and be a playoff contender here in 2017. But this team has supremely regressed and it does not help their case that all three teams from the NFC South could be bound for the postseason. Now you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs, and Carolina will be on the road when they take on the Atlanta Falcons, while Tampa Bay will host the New Orleans Saints. And speaking of a young team that's trying to take that next step, you had the 10-4 Jacksonville Jaguars making the trek west to Santa Clara to take on the 4-10 and 10 San Francisco 49ers. Now, the 49ers have been undefeated ever since Jimmy Garoppolo was inserted as a team starting quarterback, and they were looking to keep that momentum going today and play spoiler for the playoff-bound Jags. 
Now, Niners took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a 10-play, 79-yard drive that ate up nearly five minutes' worth of game clock, and it was capped off by a one-yard run from Jimmy G to give San Fran the early 7 to nothing advantage. Now, early in the second quarter, Dante Johnson returned a Blake Bortles interception 50 yards for the touchdown to make it 16 to nothing. However, the ensuing extra point was blocked and it was returned for two points by Aaron Colvin of the Jags to put them on the scoreboard at 16-2. to Now, the Jags would keep that momentum going as on the ensuing kickoff, they marched down the field on an 11-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up nearly six minutes' worth of game clock, and it was capped off by a one-yard run from rookie running back Leonard Fournette to make it 16-19. to And just before the first half ended, the Jaguars had seized all of the momentum at Levi Stadium as Bortles connected with Jalen Strong on a five-yard touchdown pass. And this was the end of an eight-play, 80-yard drive that just took 90 seconds off from the clock. And after being dominated for so much of the first half, Jacksonville now found themselves tied with San Fran at the break, 16-16. to It looked like the Jags had all of the momentum and they were really, really ready to take control of this contest as they took the opening kickoff and marched down the field, and they had to settle for a Josh Lambeau field goal from 45 yards out to make it 19-16. to However, this was Jacksonville's first lead of the game. But Jacksonville was unable to sustain it, as later on in the third quarter, Garoppolo connected with tight end Greg Kittle from eight yards out to uh, put San Francisco back in front by the score of 23-19. to Now, early in the fourth quarter, San Francisco began to put them, uh, some distance between themselves and the Jaguars as they put together a 13-play, 86-yard drive that ate up nearly six and a half minutes of game clock, and it culminated when Garoppolo connected with Trent Taylor from five yards out to make it 30-19. to Now, later on in the fourth, after another uh, Jags turnover, the 49ers basically put this contest away as Carlos Hyde punched it in from six yards out to give the Niners the commanding 37-19 lead. Jacksonville would come back with a a pair of touchdowns as well as recovering an onside kick. However, they could not stop the 49ers late in this contest, and the Jaguars fell on the road today by the score of 44-33. And you look inside of the numbers of this contest, and the Jags, they really did it to themselves with turnovers and penalties. I'm going to start off with the penalties. Jacksonville had 12 accepted penalties against them. That is not going to get it done. Then Blake Bortles was 32 of 50 passing today for 382 yards with two TDs, but he did throw three costly interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo was 21 of 30 passing for 242 with two TDs and a pick, while the Niners did have 131 yards on the ground, and I talked about those costly penalties from the Jacksonville Jaguars today. They had a few unsportsmanlike conduct fouls, which are never a good thing, and those are things that, you know, obviously there are the 15-yard variety as far as penalties go, and then on top of that, they take away from, you know, what you can do as far as getting off the field, especially on defense, and then on top of that, you know, they keep drives going for the opponent, so you never want to do that. And, you know, for the 49ers, I'll tell you like this, this team is fired up now that they have Jimmy G, and I said it before and I'll say it again. This is a team that you definitely want to pay attention to going into 2018. General manager 
John Lynch, as well as head coach Kyle Shanahan, are building something. They've done a solid job drafting. They should continue to uh, draft good players and put pieces around Jimmy Garoppolo on both sides of the football. And, you know, if they if the 49ers could have a solid offseason between the draft and free agency, we are talking about a team that could be looking at a postseason berth here in 2018. Now, for the Jaguars, in you know, in a lot of phases of the game, you know, what you did today is not going to work in the postseason. And to me, this is a team that still has some growing up to do because you clinched the playoff berth last week at home. You were so excited. You know, you were jumping around, and you had every right to be excited as it was your first postseason berth since 2007. But, you know, you still got to go out there and you got to take care of your business. And there's still a possibility for Jacksonville to get a first-round bye should the Pittsburgh Steelers lose uh, tomorrow against the Houston Texans and lose next week. And if Jack, Jacksonville wins next week uh, against Tennessee, there is an opportunity for the Jags to still get a first-round bye. So, you know, there's still a lot for you on the table. You know, getting to the playoffs is one thing, but you want to try to, like, secure that first-round bye. And on top of that, you know, you want to try to keep the momentum going. Jacksonville coming into this game had the number one ranked defense in the NFL. They didn't play like it today. San Francisco offensively did to them whatever they wanted to do. Then on top of that, I talked about the three interceptions from Blake Bortles. And what we saw today from the Jaguars is what we saw for the past few years when they weren't winning. Basically, you go out there, you're not good on D, you're not being able to run the football, and then Blake Bortles is trying to beat you with his arm. And we saw what happened today when Blake Bortles tried to beat you with his arm. So I guarantee you that potential Jaguar opponents heading into the playoffs will definitely have their eyes on the film that we saw today from this contest against the 49ers. And also, in this contest, there was a a piece of history, as this marked the first time in NFL history that a contest ended by the score of 44 to 33. Now you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. San Francisco will be on the road to take on the Los Angeles Rams while for Jacksonville, they will find themselves next Sunday afternoon on the road to take on the Tennessee Titans. And speaking of those Titans, they came into play today with a record of eight and six and they were hosting the 10-4 and four Los Angeles Rams who are looking to clinch the NFC West. Now, midway through the first quarter, the Rams got on the board first when quarterback Jared Goff connected with running back Todd Gurley on a three-yard touchdown pass to make it 6 to nothing as place kicker Sam Ficken missed the extra point. Now, it was 6-3 to three in the second quarter in favor of Los Angeles when the Titans scored their first touchdown of the game when Jarrell Casey blew through the offensive line, forced a golf fumble, and it was recovered by linebacker Wesley Woodyard, who scampered four yards to the end zone to give the Titans the 10-6 to advantage. However, Los Angeles would be undaunted as two plays later, Goff connected with Gurley again, this time on an 80-yard touchdown pass, as Todd Gurley did it all with his legs on this one to give the Rams the 13-10 to lead. Now, there's some more controversy around the NFL today, and it wasn't talked about as much because it, was, because it wasn't the Patriots. But midway through the third quarter, the Rams had a fourth and one situation, 
inside of the Titans 20. There appeared to be a false start by the Rams, which was not picked up by the game officials, and the Rams would get a first down on a Todd Gurley run, which set up a golf pass to Sammy Watkins from three yards out to give the Rams the 20-13 to 13 advantage. Now the Titans would immediately respond on their ensuing drive when veteran running back DeMarco Murray punched it in from six yards out to knock the score at 20 apiece. Now it was 23-20 to 20 in favor of Tennessee early in the fourth quarter when the Rams went ahead for good when Goff connected with wide receiver Cooper Cup on a 14-yard touchdown pass, and Cooper Cup did a good job of getting his knee down in the back of the end zone. And, of course, for all of you out there, one knee equals two feet. The Rams' defense would step up and stiffen up the rest of the way and through the rest as Los Angeles went on the road today for their first division title since 2003. Of course, that was in St. Louis, but this is their first division title within the city of Los Angeles, or at least Southern California for that matter, since 1985. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest. Jared Goff was 22 of 38 passing today, for 301 yards with four TDs and no picks. Marcus Mariota was 22 of 39 passing today for the Titans for 275 yards with no touchdowns and a pick. Todd Gurley had another big day rushing and receiving. Todd Gurley had 22 carries for 118 yards, while he had 10 catches for 158 yards with two touchdowns. And I talked about this Rams defense, you know, stepping up when it mattered the most as they were able to help Los Angeles get the tough road win today. And you look at this Rams team. As Todd Gurley goes, the two impact players that you always have to keep an eye on for the Rams this season on offense, it's Todd Gurley and it's Robert Woods because we saw how the Rams passing game took a step back when Robert Woods was not in the lineup. And having him back there to, um, on the past few weeks has really changed things for L.A. And, I mean, Todd Gurley was not healthy last year, and the results showed up. But this time around, you have a healthy Todd Gurley. He's playing like an MVP, and he should get more than just a little recognition for that award because this guy is a real deal. He can pass block. He can, uh, you know, he can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. He can line up as a wide receiver. And, of course, he is a dynamic running back. And for the Titans, your woes continue. You've lost three in a row, three games to the NFC West. Of course, two of those were on the road. But you know what? This is another case of a young team not being able to take care of their business. You were 8-4 a few weeks ago. And, you know, you had a, you had a playoff chance basically almost locked up. But, you know, you have been unable to take care of your business the last three weeks. And now, you know, heading into your final week, you got to go out there and, you know, sweat it out. But at the same time, for the Tennessee Titans, just like I said last week, teams are forcing Marcus Mariota to make plays from the pocket. And I don't see him in that comfort zone as of yet at this point of his career as far as being able to consistently make those plays. And until he is able to, the Titans will not be a playoff Now, you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. Los Angeles will be at home to host the San Francisco 49ers, while Tennessee will be at home once again to host the Jacksonville Jaguars. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309.
Now you had the eight and six Kansas City Chiefs hosting the six and eight Miami Dolphins. And for Kansas City, it was plain and simple. If you win, you win the AFC West. And this would also mark the first time in franchise history that the Chiefs won this division in consecutive years. Now, it was tied at three early in the second quarter when Kansas City took the lead when quarterback Alex Smith connected with tight end Travis Kelsey on a nine-yard touchdown pass to give the Chiefs the V10-3 advantage. It was 10-6 to in favor of KC later in the second quarter when Kareem Hunt scored on a one-yard touchdown run to make it 17-6. to However, Miami would immediately respond when Cutler, when quarterback Jay Cutler connected with wide receiver Jakeen Grant on a 65-yard touchdown pass, and it was basically the legs and the agility of Grant that did the majority of the work on this play to put Miami right back into the contest by the score of 17-13. to However, it was the defense of the Chiefs as well as the right leg of place kicker Harrison Butker, who did the work for the remainder of the game as he would connect on four more field goals uh, following his field goal in the first quarter to uh, put Kansas City up by the score of 29-13. to And that would be the final today from Arrowhead. Kansas City dominated the time of possession as they possessed the football today for nearly 38 minutes. And if you're Miami, it's hard to defeat anybody when you're 0, on, 0 for 8 on third down today like they were. Dolphins quarterback Jay Cutler was 19 of 38 passing for 286 yards with one TD and no interceptions, while Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith was 25 of 39 passing for 304 yards with a TD. Tyreek Hill did have six catches for 109 yards, but he did not have a, a touchdown grab while Pro Bowl safety Rashad Jones led both sides with 15 tackles this afternoon. And, you know, with Kansas City, you don't know what team you're going to get. Are you going to get the team that began the season with a record of 5-0 and and then they went into that slump? Or are you going to get that team that finally got back on the right track last week versus the Los Angeles Chargers? And I think today what we saw was a team that went out there and got back on track versus the Los Angeles Chargers last week. This is a big step for Kansas City because it would have been very easy for them to completely go in the tank when things were falling apart because they were losing to some bad teams. They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Giants. Uh, I think the Giants' loss was a little bit worse because the Giants up until that point of the season only had one victory, and honestly the Giants have not won a game since they beat Kansas City, and that was a real low point. And then, of course, against the Jets where the, you know, the bottom fell out, you had cornerback Marcus Peters throwing an official's flag into the stands. He left the field when he thought he was ejected, and he really wasn't. Uh, but, you know, KC, you know, they found a way to keep it going. And I think that is a credit to head coach Andy Reid. You look at this team right now, they're go- they, they've won the AFC West. They're going to get a home game uh, in the playoffs, and anything can happen. As long as Kansas City offensively is able to consistently get the football to the likes of Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey, they can definitely be a team to be reckoned with. For the Miami Dolphins, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the season cannot end quick enough for them. They're 6-9, and nine, but they have played like a team 
that is much worse than six and nine. And as the losses continue to pile up, you know, you really see that from this team. Now you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. Miami will finish their season at home against the Buffalo Bills, while Kansas City will find themselves on the road against the Denver Broncos. Now you had the 5-9 and nine Cincinnati Bengals today hosting the 8-6 and six Detroit Lions, and there was plenty on the line for both teams. Of course, the Bengals were eliminated from postseason competition long, a long time ago, but this more than likely was the final home game for Marvin Lewis as the head coach of Cincinnati. And for Detroit, they had some slim playoff hopes heading into this contest, but they could not afford to take a loss to the Bengals. Now, the Lions took advantage of things early as they got on the scoreboard late in the first quarter when quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with tight end Eric Ebron on a 33-yard touchdown pass to give Detroit the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 10 to 6 in the third quarter in favor of the Lions when the Bengals got their first lead of the contest. When quarterback Andy Dalton connected on a 1-yard pass with uh CJ Uzoma to give Cincy the 13 to 10 lead. Now, it was 16 to 10 in the fourth quarter in favor of the Bengals when Detroit was able to reclaim the lead when Teon Green scored on a five-yard touchdown run, which capped off a 10-play 75-yard drive to make it 17 to 16 in favor of the guys that wear the Honolulu blue uniforms. Now, Randy Bullock would connect on another field goal later in the fourth to make it 19 to 17. And late in this contest, Cincinnati would put this con- would put this game away when Giovanni Bernard scored on a 12-yard touchdown run to make it 26 to 17. As Cincinnati would pull off the upset today at home. And you look aside of the numbers, Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford was 19 of 35 passing for two or three today with a pick, uh, one touchdown pass, and two sacks. While Andy Dalton was 27 of 41 passing for 238 yards of the TD and a pick while he was sacked three times. The big MVP of this contest today was Giovanni Bernard for the Bengals as he had 23 carries for 116 yards with one touchdown as Cincinnati went out there and pulled off the upset. And for Detroit, it's the same old Lions because you knew what was at stake. You knew you could not lose. You knew about the teams that were ahead of you you know, in the playoff race, you had the Falcons, you had the Seahawks, you had the Cowboys. And it's a situation, if you are the Lions, you watch what the Bengals did the last three weeks. It was not pretty. Cincinnati had basically given up on the season. And, you know, there needed to be a sense of urgency today from the Lions to go out there and take care of their business. But that was not the case. And Cincinnati dictated the pace for the most part. I know they were going back and forth four portions of this contest, but Cincinnati really dictated the pace. And because of that, they played spoiler. And in the process, they eliminated the Lions from postseason competition. So if you're Detroit, I want to see what type of effort that they're going to come out and play with uh, next week. And the same can be said for the Bengals because they have an opportunity to go out there and play spoiler next week again. But will they be up for the challenge against a tougher Baltimore Ravens team. Now, we talked about the Bengals clashing with the Ravens in week number 17, and for the Detroit Lions, they will find themselves at home to take on the Green Bay Packers. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231 
626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 7-7 seven and seven Los Angeles Chargers who were seeking to get their second victory at MetLife Stadium uh, this season when they took on the 5-9 and nine New York Jets. And this was a defensive stalemate for the most part. But the lightning bolts got on the scoreboard first midway through the second quarter when it was that age-old connection for this franchise. As it was quarterback Phillip Rivers connecting with old faithful at tight end. And I'm talking about Antonio Gates from three yards out as the future Hall of Famers combined to put the Chargers up 7 to nothing, And this capped off a 12-play, 71-yard drive that ate up nearly six minutes' worth of game clock. Now, early on in the third quarter, the Jets would get on the scoreboard when Bilal Powell exploded for a 57-yard touchdown run to knock the score at seven apiece. However, the Chargers' defense, pardon me, offense rather, would immediately respond by putting together an eight-play, 75-yard drive that took up more than five minutes' worth of game clock off the clock, and it resulted in a one-yard run from Melvin Gordon to give them the 14-7 to advantage. That was all of the scoring that went down in this one. As the Chargers went on the road for their second victory of the season at MetLife, 14-7. to Now, looking inside of the numbers, Chargers quarterback Phillip Rivers was 22 of 40 passing today for 290 yards with a TD and no picks, while Jets quarterback Bryce Petty was 15 of 28 passing for a buck 19 with no TDs and a pick, and he was sacked three times by this Chargers defense. Bilal Powell did have a big afternoon as he had 19 carries for 145 yards, and as a team, the Jets rushed for 197 yards. Antonio Gates, the ageless one at tight end for the Chargers, had six catches for 81 yards, while wide receiver Keenan Allen had five catches for 65 yards. And if you were the Jets, and this is typical Jets fashion right here, you run for darn near 200 yards and you still find a way to lose the game at home. That's something that only the New York Jets could find a way to do, but they did it this afternoon. Uh, for the Chargers, I give them credit because this was a this was a classic trap game because it's not that the Jets don't have anything to play for because this team has played hard all season long, and you knew that you were going to have to pack a lunch and they went on the road. I think going there and getting the victory over the Giants earlier this season helped them out a little bit uh, with the mentality for this one. But it was big for the uh, Chargers to go out there and get this victory today as they hang around in the postseason picture in the AFC. Now, you look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs. The Jets will be on the road to take on the New England Patriots, while the Chargers will find themselves at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Oakland Raiders. Now, you had the 5-9 and nine Denver Broncos traveling to the nation's capital today to take on the 6-8 and eight Washington Redskins. Now, the score was not at three apiece late in the second quarter when the Redskins scored the first uh, game's first touchdown when quarterback Kirk Cousins hooked up with wide receiver Jamison Crowder 
on a 15-yard touchdown pass to give Washington the 10-3 advantage. It was 13-3 early in the fourth quarter in favor of Washington when Cousins would connect with wide receiver Josh Doxson from 48 yards out to make it 20-3. It basically put the game away when Cousins connected with tight end Vernon Davis later in the fourth to make it 27-3 as Washington would go on to win it home today by the score of 27 to 11. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Broncos quarterback Brock Osweiler was 22 of 38 passing for a buck 93 with no TDs with one interception. And, and he was sacked four times by this Redskins defense, Kirk Cousins and what could possibly be his final uh, game at home for the Redskins as he is seeking to become a free agent at the end of the season. He was 19 and 37 passing for 299 yards with three touchdowns and a pick. Now Denver was able to rediscover their running game today as they had 159 yards on the ground with 88 of those coming from CJ Anderson, but they simply could not stop Kirk Cousins and his offense enough as the Broncos fell today by the score of 27-11, and they finished the season 1-7 and seven on the road. And it's like, wow, things have gotten bad in a hurry for Denver, as this was a team that won the Super Bowl just two years ago. And, of course, you know, it started at quarterback position once Peyton Manning retired. They still have not found that next quarterback. Their defense is getting older, and they're getting frustrated because the offense really can't do anything, and that showed again today. And if you're the Redskins, you want to try to finish this season on a positive note. It got away from you with all of the injuries, especially on the offensive line. But I think it was important for them to go out there and show this cohesion and get this victory uh, at home today to at least finish the home portion of your schedule on a positive note. As Washington did go 5-3 and three this season at FedEx Field. You look ahead to week number 17 for both of these clubs, and Washington will finish their regular season on the road against the New York Giants, while Denver will finish up at home versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of teams that cannot wait for this season to end, you had the 2-12 and New York football Giants making the trek to the desert to take on the 6-8 and Arizona Cardinals. And there was once upon a time when Eli Manning was a man of the hour at University of Phoenix Stadium, as you got to go back to January of 2008, when he led the Giants to the upset victory over the New England Patriots in Super Bowl number 42. However, that was not the case today, as Eli had a bad afternoon, and the Giants had a bad afternoon as an organization, as they were shut out and dominated by the Arizona Cardinals today by the score of 23 to nothing and you look inside of the numbers after Eli had the big day against the Philadelphia Eagles last Sunday afternoon that was not the case today against the defense of the Cardinals as they picked off Eli Manning twice and they returned a fumble of Manning for a touchdown to ice this game how other than that Eli was 27 or 45 passing for 263 the Giants only had 43 yards on the ground. Like I keep saying, you can't put it all on Eli, especially if you are unable to run the football. Now, Eli lost one of his big targets early when tight end Evan Ingram was lost to an injury, and he finished the game with just one catch for 12 yards. Now, Drew Stanton, the Cardinals quarterback, did not have a big game either as he threw two interceptions, but he also threw two touchdown passes as he was 20 of 34 passing today 
for 209 yards. And the ageless one at wide receiver and Larry Fitzgerald continues to get it done as he torched the Giants today for nine catches for a buck 19 and one touchdown grab. Buda Baker led all players with 13 tackles, while Cardinals linebacker Carlos Dansby also chipped in with 10 tackles of his own. And for the Giants, I mean, what can you see, what can you say that has not been said about this team? They had their opportunities early, uh, as far as like trying to get some scoring and get some momentum. But you know, if you're algebraicist, you got to connect on your field goals uh, when you have the opportunity. And the Giants, you know, watching their offense. You know, they simply don't have the guys who uh, can get separation uh, and, and, and the receiving routes. And, you know, Eli's one of those guys. He's a veteran guy. I know that there are going to be some people out there uh, that are going to say that he's washed up and he's done. But, you know, one man can't do it by himself. And it's going to be interesting to see where he's playing football at next season. If he's with the Giants, you know, they, they hopeful, they're hopeful to get a healthy Odell Beckham back at wide receiver. Uh, but, you know, they're going to need more pieces around him. But, you know, the season simply can't end quick enough for this club. And for the Cardinals, you know, they're trying to end on a positive note. It's just like the Washington Redskins. Uh, they were 6-8, and eight, now they're 7-8, and eight, and they're trying to finish the season at the 500 mark. Looks like we have a caller coming in. Caller, welcome to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. Actually, I'm going to disagree with you about that. I mean, the, the season was done before. I, I think Geno Smith deserves another game. I know I'm a minority about that, but you might as well try out how he's going to do the team. Well, I'll tell you this. I think the Giants, what, what happened with the Giants was this. If they were going to bench Eli Manning, they should have done it for Davis Webb. And the reason is, I mean, no offense to Geno Smith, but, you know, he's not the future of this team. I mean, even if, even if they put Geno Smith in for a game or two, I mean, what's the likelihood that he's back with this team next season? It's probably slim to none. Uh, I think what really hurt the Giants, I mean, if they wanted to make the move legitimately from Eli – to another quarterback and they wanted it to be Davis Webb, they should have had Davis Webb ready. They didn't even give him reps in training camp. Now, if the Giants had done that and, like, really began to groom Davis Webb, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, you really you, – you can't really fully feel if Eli is done with his team just for the simple fact the offensive line is terrible. They can't run the ball and, of course – all of his receivers are done. So, I I mean, I I don't see uh, how much better Davis Webb could have done, but at the same time, it would have been good for the Giants to get a look at him. I don't see them playing him next week in the regular season finale with Washington due to the fact the guy only had six reps this week. And, I mean, I don't see them giving him the full workload. It would be nice if they were giving him more reps, and then you could be like, fine, let's, let's... uh, take a look at, at, at what Davis Webb and, what, and you know, what he could do for the future. But the Giants have really finagled uh, this quarterback situation in the last few weeks, and I don't know where they go from here with it. Call yeah, right there. If, if, I ask, if I could ask one last question, too. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. I've been dying on my football picks. The, the Rams killed me with the spread today. Uh-huh. They had a freaking six-and-a-half spread, and they won by five, like you saw before. Uh-huh. Freaking, I've been dying the past couple of weeks. Can, can you give me 
for next week? Uh, let's look at the slate here. Um, I gotta say, looking looking at the slate of games for next next week. Uh, your best bets. It's probably going to be either the Vikings at home over the over the Bears. I mean, Minnesota right now they're a twelve and a half point favorite. I mean, they're probably going to bench some guys in that contest. Also, New Orleans at Tampa Bay right now. New Orleans has opened up as a seven and a half point favorite. And you look at it like this: you know, New Orleans knows that they have to try to win this game because Carolina won today, and New Orleans wants to win the division so they get that uh, they get that home game because they're not going to get a first round bye, but they definitely want to get the home game home game at the dome. Uh, the other game uh, to look at, like as far as like the opening, Baltimore is a ten point favorite at home against Cincinnati. I mean, Baltimore knows that you know what if they win, they're in. So I think you're going to see a Raven, like a good Ravens team. I mean, this is the same Ravens team that shut out Cincinnati to begin the season. So I mean, if, if you wanted like a solid pick, those would probably be your your, your three best bets right there. Which one of those? And you know, it's so funny because I I should have doubled or nothing, but I didn't want to take the risk. I was okay. going to take the Seahawks today because I know the Seahawks is hoping for the Rams to lose and just win one. Right. Like, even though the Rams ended up winning, I I think the Seahawks want to finish strong, and and they actually ended up as um, plus four. They were getting four points against Dallas, and I I swear I was about to take them, and then and then I was like, ah, I don't want to risk it this week. So out of out of those three bets, mm-hmm. which, which one would you put like five hundred on? Uh, the Raven, the Ravens. Honestly, I gotta go to Saints because the I Saints? mean New Orleans is yeah New Orleans is a seven and a half point favorite. I mean, granted, it's on the road against Tampa, but I look at the Saints. I mean, like they're they've opened up as seven and a half point favorites. I mean, I, I, I still no, no. I, <laughs> the Saints actually killed me with that seven and a half spread too on the on well, Thursday night game a couple of weeks ago. That, yeah, that was the one where uh, Alvin Kamara, you know, he went out early with the uh, with the injury. And, of course, you know, that changed things with the Falcons. But, I mean, it's early in the week. I mean, they've opened at seven and a half. I, I want to see what the over-under line is going to be for it. I would imagine uh, the over-under for this contest is probably going to be someplace between 40 and 45. But, I mean, okay. you look at New Orleans, they're, they're four and three. Um on the road this se- on the road this season, Tampa's three and four. However, you know you look at Tampa's last three games; they've lost by three points. Uh, I gotta say, Baltimore would probably be the safer bet because Baltimore they're Baltimore, five and two at home. Baltimore's the best bet. Yeah, because they're five and two at home this season. Cincinnati's two and five on the road, and then Baltimore shut out Cincinnati to begin the season in, in Cincinnati. So, I mean, Baltimore knows if they win, they're in the playoffs. So if you're the Ravens, you definitely want to go out there and take care of business. And I mean, Cincinnati won today at home against Detroit, but I look at it, I still think this team is checked out a little bit, and I think that Baltimore should be able to take advantage of it on Sunday. You know, I I never listened to your show before. Uh, I I, I call on these block talk shows sometimes because I watch football, and mm-hmm. but 
I'm not like super familiar with it, so I call in for advice. Okay. And you sound okay. like a man who knows his spreads, which I like. I like. <laughs> but we'll see if it's just like, oh, I like this team to win, but you know, you you have the point spread and and you know how how they're gonna win by himself. Do you do you think some of this shit is set up sometimes? And I, I like I just don't understand how Vegas is always so close to the spread. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. a few is not like I think the Giants was actually negative three today, which is right. that I shouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. Well, but, I mean, but they've been covering at, the I mean, spreads all year long. The Giants actually been a, a good team to cover, believe it or not. Their spreads. Well, I, you like, know what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no I'm I, sorry. I was just gonna. No, I was just going to say that, you know, you look at it and you, you get some teams out there that, you know, typically even or even if they're good and if they have a heavy, um, you know, spread line, that it's going to be a situation they typically do not cover. I mean, Seattle, there's been several times over the past few years, Seattle's been favored by eight or more at home and they don't cover. I mean, there's been a couple of times Seattle was even favored, favored by 14 and they didn't cover. And the same thing could be said with New England. And you know, New England came with a, came with no, they had a, no, they were they were they were favored big today. New England covered. Yeah, but they they were favored big today. And typically with the Pats, they don't you know it's always safer to take the under. But you know they they made it they 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 were able to spread things out late in the uh, in, in the second half to uh, uh to to win by twenty one. I think New England came into this game today favored. By twelve and a half, I could be wrong, but um, no, you probably New you no, England usually New England usually does cover because I'm I made a lot of money off of them this year, and okay. I made a lot of money off of the the Rams. Okay. Now, New England usually covers those long spreads too, and I, okay. the the reason why why I made a lot of money off the Rams, I actually hope hope for them to clinch. To get to the Super Bowl, if you don't mind, <laughs> and then okay. I win five hundred. And if they win the Super Bowl, I win fifteen hundred, and that's just with a hundred dollar okay. bet. <laughs> but um, smart, smart investment. <laughs> yeah, my 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 friend actually put me onto the Rams because when I started making money on them, he's like, "Yo, he's like, he's like, they don't understand how good the Rams are because they, I don't know if you remember, in the beginning of the season, they were starting off." Negative. Right. Negative three and negative, and they kept winning the games. I don't know if you remember that. He was like, he yeah. Was like, he was like, this isn't on to the Rams yet. So he was like, yo, bet the Rams, bet the, and I, I kept betting like five hundred, five hundred. I kept winning. Um. Now the reason why I say is it set up sometimes because today's game, with and I like to say it was a good game, but I freaking hate losing. <laughs> Today's Rams game, uh, I, I forgot who they are, uh, the Cardinals. The they, Titans. Today was the Titans today. The Titans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm a freaking um, Giants played the Cardinals. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, their fourth and goal, and I think the score is what? I, I don't know. Who was the first? The Titans or? Well, the Titans took the lead, but they're fourth and goal. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead of going for the field goal, they go for it in the first quarter. 
Like, isn't that like a little suspicious to you? And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm turning your show into that, but that, that I'll, I will leave on that. I will, I will leave on that question that we could talk about that real, like, real quick. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as being suspicious. I mean, I've watched the Rams a ton this season, and you know, Sean McVay, you know, he's a very, he's a very aggressive coach, and you know, he knows what's at stake, and he knew what was at stake today. If you win you win the AFC West and it's also a situation, hostile environment. You want to try to, you know, quiet those folks in Nashville down. And he knew that it was going to be a tough game. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't see it, you know, there from the, the Rams as far as anything to make it uh, questionable. Even when the officials, you know, they missed that uh, false start penalty on the Rams in the second half. So, I mean, me personally, I did not have a problem with them uh, on fourth down there. Oh, yo! I know I keep I know I keep keeping you on the line. I'm sorry you could cut me off on that. But how much of a robbery was that Pittsburgh Steelers catch against Patriots last week? Oh my God! Well, that well, was a catch was, and a half. Well, the thing was, I had talked about this earlier tonight. You know, that's the third time that we've seen an instance like this work in favor of the Patriots this season. First time was against the Jets last yes, week against yes, Pittsburgh, yes, and then yes. you know today against <laughs> Buffalo. The one against the Jets, I really thought it was a toss-up. Uh, the one against Pittsburgh no, that was uh, last down. week. The one with the, the Jets the, the was one, bad. The one with the, was bad also. The one last week, the one I, last week against uh, against Pittsburgh. The thing was, it wasn't it wasn't a popular decision, but I think the refs got it right because by the letter of the law, you know Jesse James had not turned into a runner at that point. He was still a receiver. And and that that's what hurt him. Now in the situation with the catch today, it was called a touchdown on the field. Okay, it appeared that, that uh, Kelvin Benjamin got both feet down, and then his knee also hit the back pylon in the end zone. And when you watch the replay, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn the call. So if there was not enough evidence to overturn the call. The call on the field should have stood as a touchdown. I think the Bills did get robbed in that call today because out of out of all three, I think this was the easiest one that you could say. You know what? This was a touchdown catch. And but and it's not good, it's not going to make it easier that this is the third time this season that it's worked in favor of the Patriots and you know also with their past history uh, with the league. So a lot of people definitely have raised eyebrows around football watching that. You, you don't think the Steelers was – you don't think that, that one was an obvious touchdown? If, if Jesse James had caught the ball at the five-yard line and then turned around and ran and his knee went down at the one and he got into the end zone and the ball moved like that, that that's a touchdown. The problem was he caught the ball – He's coming down to the ground, and as he's going to the ground, and I'm actually visualizing it in my head, you know, talking to you right now, once he hit the ground, the ball still moved. And because of that, because of the way that they are in the NFL right now with the current state of the catch and not a catch, it's a situation where, you know what, you have to secure that all the way through. This goes back to the Calvin Johnson rule from nearly 10 years ago. Uh, this was the same situation, you know, I remember a game a few years ago between the Giants and Patriots with Odell Beckham when he did not, you know, maintain possession all the way through. Then, of course, you know, the infamous Des Bryant catch 
or there wasn't a catch in the playoffs a few years ago. So right, it just right, puts right. more concentration, you know, on being able to, you know, sustain the ball all the way through the process. But I really think the one today with Kelvin Benjamin, that definitely was a catch because, again, it was called on the field as a catch. And once they went to the replay, I did not see enough evidence for them to overturn it. At least last week with Jesse James, I did see enough evidence because as he went to the ground, the ball was moving. But it wasn't clear enough on the video replay to show that Kelvin Benjamin did not get both feet down in in the end zone today. Plus, one of his knees did touch the pylon, you know, going out of the end zone. And I think that should have counted in his favor I I I really I really think they got it wrong today. Again, not not to sound like a broken record, it was called a catch on the field, and there simply was not enough evidence for them to overturn that call. Uh, you know, in order to make it a make it an incomplete pass. So I, I really think the Buffalo Bills did a good job on that one. You know, I, I yeah I agree with you. E- even though the Bills stood no chance of winning, as great mm-hmm. as the Patriots have been doing. I have this gut feeling they're going to lose in the playoffs this year. We shall see, though. Oh, I mean, they're they're 12-3, and three, but, you know, in recent weeks, you know, they haven't looked, you know, typically as dominating as the Patriots have been at times. And I think it's going to be a situation, of course, people want to, they want to say, well, is Tom Brady done? I, I think what's hurting them now, you didn't see it too much earlier in the season, but not having – uh, Julian Edelman. I, I really think it's beginning to show up. However, I do think if New England can get through next week's game with the Jets healthy and they get that first round bye, I think they're going to go back there and, you know, really relax themselves and, and, and get refreshed and, you know, try to come back for the playoffs because the hunger is still there because, you know, they want to go back to back. You know, they haven't done that in uh, more than 10 years. I mean, this team, I mean, they've been so consistent as far as getting to the playoffs. They just haven't been back-to-back since 2004, you know, which gives you an idea of how hard that it is uh, to do. But you look at New England, you know, they're going to get at least one home game, and if they beat the Jets next Sunday, they got home field advantage again. So everybody knows that they got to go through Foxborough. You know, a lot of people talk about the Jags and the Steelers, you know, being the toughest competition, but – How's Antonio Brown going to be able to play in the playoffs? Is he going to be healthy? And you know it's going to be cold out there with that calf injury, so you got to worry about that. And if Pittsburgh doesn't have a healthy uh, Antonio Brown, they're not going to beat New England in New England. And then, of course, you know, a lot of people are talking about Jacksonville, but we saw again today, you know, Jack, Jacksonville's defense got exposed, and then on top of that, you take away their running game, you try to make Blake Bortles beat you, it's not happening. So, I mean, there's a, there's a possibility, you know, they get back to the Super Bowl. New England, I like their chances. Uh, will they win it again? It all, it all depends on who they, you know, first of all, they got to get there, and then, you know, who they play uh, in the Super Bowl should they get there. But I'll tell you like this, man, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not going to write this team off. I know that there are going to be some people that are going to look at any close call, you know, with the Patriots now and, like, you know, here we go again. So, um, but I, I tell you one thing. Seeing the Patriots in the playoffs is good for football because they are that team that everybody loves to hate, and every story needs a villain. And right now, the Pats, they are the villain of the NFL. Right, right, right. If, if they do get taken out of the playoffs, who, 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 would, who would do it? Uh, 
at this point, I would say it would happen in the Super Bowl because I don't see – a few weeks ago, I would have said Pittsburgh. But, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, they lost their chance to get home field advantage. We don't know how Antonio Brown is going to be when he comes back. I don't see Jacksonville being able to go to New England and beat them. And those are the two teams that had the best chance to beat New England in the playoffs, at least on the AFC side. If they're going to lose, they're, it's going to be in the Super Bowl. And, it, and it, it all depends on who gets to the Super Bowl from the NFC. I mean, you look at the Rams with their D, uh, the way they can run the football. I mean, you look at New Orleans. I mean, the Patriots already did beat New Orleans this season. Uh, you look at Carolina, who did beat uh, New England this season. Uh, you also look at the Vikings with the way that they play D. But I, I think it's going to be stacked up against the Vikings because no team has ever uh, played in the Super Bowl on their home field. So, I mean... The Rams should be getting a bye week also or no? No, 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 no. It's going to it's going to be the Eagles and it's going to be the Vikings. And should the Eagles win tomorrow night, they get home field advantage. So the Rams right now, the Rams appear well. The Rams they're still not guaranteed the three seed. They'll have to beat San Francisco next week because if the Rams and the Saints finish tied, uh, both of them are eleven and four right now. The Rams would get the tiebreaker because the Rams did beat New Orleans a few weeks ago. But if, but if the Rams lose next week and New Orleans uh, wins, then you're talking about the Saints going in as a three seed. They would play either Atlanta or Seattle, while the Rams would then get Carolina because if the if the Saints win next week, Carolina is going to be that five seed. And they're going to be a tough out for whomever they have to play, whether it be the Rams or the. Uh, or the Saints. I, you you do the show every Sunday. Every Sunday night at nine, man. And you can also check me out on Twitter at three hundred pounds of sports. And you know, if you're on Facebook, you know, drop a line. You know, we have the sports discussion group at the Sports Depot three sixty five. You know, send me a line, and you know, you can become let a member. Let me write this. Be a part let, of me, the let, let me write down your Twitter. Hey, can I? So, you, would you mind if if I ask you like a few questions, like if I hit you up with the spread or something? Yeah, sure, sure, no problem, no problem, man. And and that's P O U N D S. Uh no, it's just L B S. So it's going to be the number three hundred pound sports. Yeah, pound pounds of sports, and that's yeah. going to be on Twitter. And then we also have the uh, sports discussion group on Facebook. You can check it out at the Sports Depot three sixty five. You don't you don't you don't like any of the spreads tomorrow? Negative nine, negative ten. Uh you will stay away from it. Philly Philly, you know, that's gonna be a tough one because you know Oakland's they, gonna play they got tough. the quarterback. Yeah. Right. I mean Oakland Oakland's gonna play tough. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh is so scary because t- Pittsburgh is another one of those teams when they are favorite big, whether it's home or away. I can't even say that they don't cover it. Most of the time, they don't even win. So I mean, I mean, like, like that's that's the thing. Pittsburgh, you know, should be able to go out there and take care of the business and mop the floor with the Texans. But with Pittsburgh, they are a scary team when they're favored. But you you wouldn't. So you yeah, I know they they lost me money too on that freaking right. Monday night <laughs> when they won by three. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, and they were down like twenty nothing or something. The, yeah, um, seventeen to nothing, and then before they finally realized that they had a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You, but you wouldn't pick the Raiders over over Philly with that spread? You nah, think that's a good I bet? mean, nah. Like like those are two games I'd stay away from. Stay away. So if I if I put down five hundred, the Ravens is your suggestion, mm-hmm. and they play next Sunday. Pardon? They play Sunday, right? The Raiders. No, the Ravens. Ravens. You said the Ravens. Ravens. Oh, Ravens. Ravens. Ravens Ravens against Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's probably a better bet, man. That's next Sunday? Yeah, next Sunday at 1. All right, so you'll be hearing from me next Sunday. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you so much. All right, bye. No problem. Take care, man. And I'm just going to finish up tonight um, by uh, by talking about the, uh, the last game. Uh, to cover here, you know, we had the uh, Cincinnati, uh, pardon me, the Cleveland Browns uh, traveling to uh, Chicago to take on the Bears today. And, you know, for the Bears, they were 4-10. and ten. They were trying to finish up on the right foot. And, you know, they uh, they traveled to face, uh, to, uh, they rather, they hosted the winless Cleveland Browns who, you know, it's simply, you know, this season, when things are going bad, things are going bad. And I'll give you a prime example it was six to three at the half in favor of the Bears. And Miles Garrett, the Browns defensive end and first overall pick of the draft this year, you know, returned the Mitchell Trubisky interception for a touchdown to give Cleveland the lead. However, the play was called back because defensive end Carl Nassib was lined up offsides. And because like subsequently Chicago would maintain the ball, they would march right down the field. And, you know, Jordan Howard would score in the second touchdown run of the game to make it 13-3. to And then the Bears would go on to win this contest today by the score of 20-3. to And in the process, you know, the Browns became just the second team in NFL history to begin a season with a record of 0-15. They joined the 2008 Detroit Lions in that role. And, of course, we know what happened with the Detroit Lions. But, I mean, Deshaun Kaiser, two more interceptions today. He was 18-36 to passing for a buck 82 and you know Mitchell Trubisky he was uh 14 of 23 passing today for a buck 93 sacked five times by this Browns defense so, you know you can't accuse the Browns of not going out there and playing hard but like I keep saying this is a young team there's no leadership on this squad and there's nobody to teach these young guys what it takes to win in the NFL and that is the biggest thing for these Browns. I mean, they going into the offseason, I know they have a new general manager and John Dorsey. He's got to go out there and he's got to try to find some some veterans to bring into this club that are going to help uh, his team. And, you know, just looking at the divisional races in the NFL very quickly, of course, New England has wrapped up another AFC title, AFC East title rather. You look at Pittsburgh, even before they take the field tomorrow night against the Houston Texans, they have already wrapped up the AFC North. And with the Tennessee Titans loss today, the Jacksonville Jaguars have now won the AFC South for the first time in franchise history. And this is crazy because the AFC South has been around since 2002, but Jacksonville never won it until today. Of course, Kansas City won the AFC West for the second year in a row. Philly has taken care of things in the NFC East. You have the Vikings as the NFC North champs, while the NFC South is the only division that is still yet to be decided as the Rams locked up the NFC West crown today. You look at the playoff standings right now, and I'm going to begin in the AFC. 
as New England currently has a top seed and a win next week versus the New York Jets will give them home field advantage. Pittsburgh can get a first-round bye uh, tomorrow if they beat the Houston Texans due to the fact that Jacksonville lost today to the San Francisco 49ers. Kansas City is locked in as the four seed, but this is where things get hectic with that wild card spot. All Baltimore has to do is win next week at Cincinnati, and they are in. But you have three teams who will head into week number 17 with a record of 8-7, and seven, Tennessee, Los Angeles, and Buffalo. Now, for Tennessee, they will host the Jacksonville Jaguars, and their saving grace is hopefully that Jacksonville decides to rest some of their guys and they can take advantage of that because a win and the Titans would get into the postseason. Now, if the Titans were to slip up, you have the Chargers right there who are at 8-7 and seven as well, and a Tennessee loss coupled by a couple with a Chargers victory over the Oakland Raiders would send the Chargers to the playoffs as a final wild card in the AFC. Buffalo is still mathematically alive as they are seeking their first playoff appearance since 1999. And for Buffalo to do that, they would need both Tennessee and the Chargers to lose while they would have to defeat the Miami Dolphins on the road. On the NFC side, Philadelphia is sitting pretty with, as a, with the, uh, at the top spot and the NFC with a record of 12-2 and two and a victory tomorrow night over Oakland would give them home field advantage. The Vikings will have a first-round bye as they more than likely will rest some players next Sunday afternoon uh, against the Bears. Now, you look at the Rams right now. The Rams cannot move up any further than three due to the fact that they lost to the Vikings earlier this season, but they have to take care of their business next Sunday against the Niners because if they lose, they fall down to the four slot. If they lose and the Saints win because if they finish tied with the Saints, of course, they have the tiebreaker due to the fact that they beat New Orleans earlier this season. Carolina could still win the NFC South, so they can move up to that four seed and host a playoff game in wild card weekend. The final wild card spot in the NFC has yet to be decided as you have both Atlanta and Seattle sitting there with records of nine and six, but it's plain and simple for Atlanta due to the fact that they beat Seattle earlier this season. If you win next week, you're in, you're headed to the playoffs. Of course, it won't be easy uh, versus the Carolina Panthers. And you look ahead to next week's uh, slew of games. All of them are going to be on Sunday. No Monday night games, no Thursday night games, or no Saturday games this week. You have the 11-4 and Carolina Panthers traveling to take on the Atlanta Falcons. And this is going to be a, a great game because there is plenty at stake for both clubs. Carolina still has an outside shot to win the NFC South while Atlanta knows if they win, they are headed to the playoffs. You're going to have the Green Bay Packers finishing out the string with the Detroit Lions. And for Detroit, you want to try to finish with a winning record. And I know the Green Bay won't be heading to the playoffs, but they definitely don't want to finish a losing record. You're going to have Jacksonville at Tennessee. And Tennessee, as bad as they've been in the last three weeks, if they win, they're in the playoffs. But Jacksonville, even though they really don't have much to play for in this contest, they still want to try to get today's bad taste out of their mouths as far as the loss they suffered on the road to the Niners. Not a lot to play for next week between the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts as both of these teams are just looking to finish out the season on a positive note. 
Now, the Buffalo Bills are still mathematically alive for the playoffs, but they need some help. Uh, first and foremost, they got to beat the Miami Dolphins, and, of course, they need both the Titans and Chargers to lose. You're going to have the Bears and Vikings uh, getting it on next Sunday in Minneapolis. And, of course, I like I said before, I do expect the Vikings to rest uh, the majority of their key guys so this young Bears team will look to try to take advantage of that. You're going to have the Jets playing the Patriots, and you have two old rivals going at it. And, you know, for the Jets, they want to finish the season on a positive note while New England is looking to secure home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. It's going to be the Redskins and Giants next Sunday afternoon at MetLife Stadium in what possibly could be the final start for Eli Manning at Giants quarterback. Uh, the Redskins want to finish with a record of 8-8, eight and eight, and for the Giants, you want to try to not only finish the season with a win, you want to try to win your first game versus the NFC all season long. Because remember, New York's both uh, victories this season came against the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs of the AFC West. It's going to be the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. And although the Dallas was eliminated from postseason contention today, they definitely want to finish on the right foot. And they could take advantage of an Eagles team who might be resting uh, next week if they're able to secure a home field advantage tomorrow night. You're going to have the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, Pittsburgh, they want to stay healthy. Uh, but I'll tell you like this, Cleveland could have an opportunity to win this game just for the simple fact that Pittsburgh, if Pittsburgh wins tomorrow night at Houston, they're going to be locked into that two slot. So they're definitely going to be resting some guys. And Cleveland is, you know, they're going to go out all out uh, trying to get their first victory of the season. But even with that, I don't think Pittsburgh wants, a team, wants to be the team that gives it to them. You're going to have the Saints and Bucks next Sunday afternoon in Tampa. And Tampa Bay would love to play spoilers since they really don't have anything to play for as far as denying New Orleans a chance to win the NFC South. The Cincinnati Bengals will look to play spoiler versus the Baltimore Ravens as it's plain and simple for Baltimore. You win and you are going to the playoffs in the AFC as a first wild card. Then you're going to have the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to take on the Denver Broncos. Kansas City is already locked up uh, the AFC West, and you look and you look at the situation right now. It's going to be very tough for them. I mean, well, they can't overtake Jacksonville for the three seed. So I do see head coach Andy Reid potentially resting some of his guys in this one getting ready for the wild card round. It's going to be the Niners taking on the Rams. And, yes, the Rams are 11-4, and four, and they want to finish on a positive note, and they want to get that three seed. But Jimmy G and the Niners will not make it easy for them. You're going to have the Raiders and Chargers next Sunday afternoon in Carson. And don't look now because – a loss by the Titans and a victory by the Chargers would have them postseason bound after they began this season with a record of 0-4. And finally, you're going to have the Cardinals taking on the Seattle Seahawks. And this is a contest right here where I could see the uh, this timing of it changed around is due to the fact that both the Falcons and Seahawks have a record of 9-6, and six, and I think they might want to – the NFL might want to push that Falcons – game to four o'clock just for the simple fact that they don't they, they want to make this game a little bit more exciting because should it be a situation where the Cardinals pardon, pardon me the, the uh, Falcons rather beat the Panthers I don't see Seattle, see Seattle going all out in this contest so you know looking looking uh, on this game I would not be surprised uh, to see the league push uh, that Falcons game to four o'clock 
looking at the slate of games for next Sunday, because you know NBC definitely wants to have a Sunday night game where they can market as far as, you know, a win-and-in scenario. They love those. Initially, a few weeks ago, it looked like it was going to be the Titans and Jags, but, you know, things have really uh, fallen apart for Tennessee. Uh, looking at the slate of games here, trying to see if there's one that really stands out as far as, you know, having the potential to be moved to 8 o'clock. Maybe Oakland and L.A. Possibility. Uh, there really isn't, like, a win-and-in scenario because so much has uh, has been clenched. You know, if, if today's Seattle-Dallas game was next Sunday, definitely. Uh I don't see them pushing Carolina and Atlanta to 8 o'clock because I, I, I really think they want to keep some optimism. You never know. They could leave the Seattle game at 4 o'clock and then push the Carolina game to 8 o'clock just to uh, make you know make it a little bit more exciting because then Atlanta knows that they have to beat Carolina uh, to get in. So that, that could be a possibility as well. So we'll see what the suits at uh, NBC and, of course, the suits on Park Avenue and the NFL will do in regards to that. But that's going to wrap up tonight's show. And as always, folks, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. I want to thank tonight's caller. I appreciate, you know, the combo that we had. And like I, like I told you before, please feel free to check check me out on, on our social media as well. And speaking of those social media outlets, you can check me out on Twitter at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, It'll be my pleasure to follow you right back. Now, also, there is a Facebook page at 300. Uh, there's a Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out. You're more than welcome to like it as well. And as always, like I said before, there is a sports discussion group at the Sports Depot 365 on Facebook. You're more than welcome to become a member and be a part of one of the hottest sports debates right now on the Internet. You can check me next Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific, same place, on the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show on blogtalkradio.com, where I will be recapping Week 17's action from the NFL. You can continue to check me out on 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge.com, where I put up some podcasts, one about what the Green Bay Packers uh, can do heading into the offseason, and there's going to be one uh, coming later in the week about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there was one today about the Baltimore Ravens. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. It's always a pleasure to see you grow and grow on a daily basis, and I know that you could do some great things in this world of ours. So that's going to do it tonight, folks. My name is William Martin. Take care. Merry Christmas, and thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. 